This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. And welcome to Pet Chat. I am Jane Klein and with me, Dr. David Tabret. And good morning to you, Hi, afternoon Good to afternoon, you. Jane. Beautiful <laughs> weather, isn't it? It is. Is it yep. good weather for pets too? Well, we do have to be careful. We've got a hot one coming up on Sunday, as we just heard. So uh, be careful of the heat with your pets. Um, they can get heat stress. And in particular, the little furry friends we're going to try and talk about today, which is guinea pigs. Guinea pigs. Mm. Sounds good. Danny Boss is with us as well. Hi, Hello, Jane. Danny. And today we'll be talking to... We'll be talking to Julie Tolliday, who we've had on the show before. She's an animal behavioralist. So we're going to talk about dog aggression and, of course, some events coming up over the weekend. You're listening to Pet Chat and it's uh, 14 past 12. And before, David, we get on to your subject of guinea pigs... Yeah. We have a caller, and Maureen has rung in. Hello, Maureen. What would you like to ask, Hello, David? Hello, David. Oh, hi, um, Maureen. Hi. I have a 15-year-old cat, mm-hmm. and I think she's going through, starting to get through kidney failure at the moment. I just wondered, what are the symptoms, and what, what should I look for, and how can I help her? Um, well, that's a very good question. It's something we do see quite commonly in older older cats. It can yeah. occur in younger cats, so we don't rule it out in younger animals, but certainly right. 15 is um, yeah. we consider geriatric. Yeah. And what happens is that over time there's progressive loss of kidney function. Um, now, the kidneys are very resourceful. They will cope right up until the point when they're ready to give up, okay. and, and you may not notice anything. So when you're actually getting symptoms and signs of kidney disease, uh, then it's often quite advanced. And this is actually a survival tactic by the body, and it's why people can donate kidneys, because we can actually exist quite happily on just one kidney. I have one. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what happens is that uh, with progressive kidney failure in cats, mm-hmm. um, and there's all theories about whether it's dietary-related, infection-related, there might be viruses or toxins, but in any event we end up with progressive loss of function. The first things that you tend to notice is they might be showing some weight loss. Um, They might be showing that they're increased thirst and drinking and obviously increased urination. And that's what we call the polyuric phase. So they're producing lots of uh, urine and they they drink to catch up. Now, they never drink quite enough, so they're always a little bit dehydrated. Oh, okay. So they, they sort of can then become lethargic through that and also through the accumulation of the nitrogen toxins in the blood. When it becomes more advanced, then they can get ulcers in the mouth and get very bad breath and, of course, their weight really starts to fall off them. Okay. Um, And so that's the more obvious signs. There are things that can be done. There's dietary uh, treatment that can be used. Um, Oftentimes people can be instructed on how to give their cats... um, injections of fluid under the skin to replace the fluid volume that they're missing. They often need um, vitamins uh, supplemented, um, and there is also some medications that uh, are thought can be helpful to slow down the progression of kidney disease. Oh, okay, right. So the simple thing is a blood test can often tell that that's present, Yep. and then it depends on the cat whether we need to do further investigations like ultrasound and biopsy. Mm-hmm. because it could be infection, it could be a tumour, it could be toxins that are causing the kidney disease. Right. Um, but there is stuff that can be done and they can be made comfortable and, you know, you can avoid the mouth problems and things like that. Right. She seems to be very hungry. She's eating, yes. eating heaps. Um, the other thing we commonly see is diabetes in older cats and they'll lose weight and 
their appetite becomes increased as well and uh, they're drinking a lot. So yeah. a, a urine test and a blood test will rule out those conditions for you. Okay. All right. Good Thank luck with that, Maureen. Thanks, call. Maureen. Thank, Thank you, Jane. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for the call, Maureen. Now, um, we do, in fact, have guinea pigs on what? the agenda. Well, no guinea pigs in the studio, thank goodness, because they run around and they hide. <laughs> and you don't know if you're going to stand on them. I could have them. brought some in, actually. Oh. I forgot oh. you were going to talk about guinea pigs, David. Well, I did. I promised this a couple of weeks ago, and we, we got um, onto other subjects. But guinea pigs... Now, I did hear that there's a movie coming out, and guinea pigs are in it, and um, it's called the uh, 101 Dalmatian Syndrome, that when you make a movie about a creature, then everyone wants one. So and it's true. The Dalmatian population went up as soon as the movies were released. Same with the Huskies with the Snow Dogs movies. Mm -hmm. And so now we're going to have a guinea pig surge. But they've been a very common pet for a lot of people, and they're very uh, useful. Uh, I think they're about the third most common pet or that uh, group. Chinchillas are in the group in the UK. Uh, They're used in um, schools here as well to help kids learn about um, caring for animals as well because they're a very good creature to have inside. They don't have the smell that rats and mice might. Um, they're a little bit easier to handle than rabbits. But they all fit into this uh, rats and mice and chinchillas and guinea pigs are actually part of the group rodents and guinea pigs are separated off in a different um, class or order, sorry, called histro... Hang on, let me read this. Histriocanathy. It's all to do with the way their teeth grow and things like that. There's a, t- there's a test afterwards on this. <laughs> <laughs> spelling bee. Um, now, they usually live various ages, but sort of around about three to five years of age that we do see. Look, they are very prone to heat stress, and guinea pigs are a fairly stressful little creature. They're what we consider a prey species, so they tend to freeze up or they want to get into a burrow, and their anxiety level and their stress level is a lot less if they can be, um, if their shelter includes some sort of burrow type arrangement where they can actually run into and hide, um, and that way, you know, they're going to be less stressed and uh, live longer, presumably. Um, now, the important thing about guinea pigs is they do have some very particular care uh, instructions that you need to make sure you're covering. Nutrition is very important. You can get specialised guinea pig or rodent mixes. But uh, guinea pigs are are, uh, an omnivore. They eat plants and fruits and things like that. So you can get these mixes, and they love them. And they're often, though, very high in sugar and sometimes a little bit higher in fat than what's preferable, and they can end up quite obese. And we've seen quite a few, and that can lead to all sorts of problems. The other thing that um, happens is guinea pigs need vitamin C, just like we do. And Dalmatian dogs, as a matter of fact. Maybe that's why they make movies about them. Um, <laughs> other creatures do not need vitamin C in their diet. They formulate it in their, in their body. But guinea pigs do need vitamin C. And so if they lack, if their diet lacks vitamin C, they uh, end up with scurvy, just like mm-hmm. the old sailors did. So you have to supplement their diet. And you can get water-soluble vitamin C that you put in their water every day. Pregnant guinea pigs need double the amount. So that's very important. The other thing about pregnancy, Danny, I don't know if you've seen this, if a guinea pig is bred less than nine months of age, Mm. um, or sorry, if it's older nine months, over nine months of age when it's first bred, they're going to need a caesarean. Yes, I've heard that before. Mm. Mm. Because what happens... Say that again. If if they're older than nine months of age, the female, when they're bred, they will need a caesarean. And what happens is... When they're bred? You mean a bred guinea pig? uh, to To produce a litter. 
Oh, yes. I little see. Baby when mice. they have yeah, litters themselves. Okay, okay. So they're mature and you say, oh, well, we'll, we'll have little guinea pigs. When if they she's... get married. And That's, right. <laughs> That's right. That's um, right. Please separate them because they do mature sexually very early and brother and sister, they don't care. And uh, But what happens is that the bones in the pelvis will fuse together and if they haven't had that litter before that age, they will fuse quite narrow. Uh, in the space in the pelvis. If they had a litter before nine months of age, then that gap in the pelvis is quite wide, and subsequently they're unlikely to require a caesarean. The other thing that's uh, quite interesting is when the babies are born, they can walk, they run, they're fine. They're precocious. (laughs) That's what's the term. They will run around and they can eat, and they are on their own. Yes, unlike rabbits when they're born, for example. Yeah, and that's puppies. that's uh, like a strategy, a survival strategy for a prey species is that your young is able to cope on their own. They do nurse off the mother, but it doesn't take very long before they're able to eat normal food. Um, the only other thing, just to finish, I always have these silly things, don't we? Um, <laughs> rabbits as well as, uh, uh, sorry, rabbits and guinea pigs practice a behaviour known as coprophagy, which means they actually eat their faeces or their poo. Now, the reason they do this, they often only do it in the morning, so you may or may not see them do it, but it is a normal behaviour. And the reason is that they need B vitamins, and their diet, generally being like fibre and plant, is low in B vitamins. So where do they get it? What happens is the fibre gets digested by bacteria in their hindgut, in the cecum, and the bacteria produce the B vitamins, and it's mainly B12 and folic acid. And their hindgut's not very good at absorbing it, so they wait till it comes out and then they eat it. So it's actually good for them. Absolutely. Necessary. Yes. Essential. Essential for life. Yes. Mm. Um, David, we, I think, have another caller, and I think it's Joan. Hello, Joan. Hello. How are you? Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Joan. What would you like to ask, David? Um, We've got a little Yorkie, Mm -hmm. um, just over two years old. Um, Terrible breath. We're having a a big battle with the... um, yeah, breath problem. Mm-hmm. What can I do? Um, at that age, there's a number of things can cause. It's halitosis, that's what we call it. Yes. So at that age, they can actually, um, there could be metabolic problems. But you know what I'd be thinking for a little Yorkshire Terrier, small mouth, and at that age, often some of the teeth aren't lined up properly. And when that happens, you can get little bits of food stuck where that shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And the bacteria in the mouth will just go to town on that. So oftentimes it means that they need a deep teeth clean to get under the gums, and that can be done regularly by yourself, and we've talked about brushing before, but to start with you might find that they actually need to have an anaesthetic and have all the teeth inspected, and oftentimes there may be some teeth that need to be removed. These deciduous teeth teeth or the puppy teeth, they should have all fallen out, and if they haven't, they'll be there uh, trapping food, and so that can contribute to bad breath. Metabolic problems that we see with that is um, either gastrointestinal disease or more likely is things like liver and kidney disease. But I'd be looking in the mouth first. Oh, right, so it's best to get them clean, take them to the vet and have an anaesthetic. Yeah, and oftentimes Yorkshire Terriers are prone to getting um, retained deciduous teeth. So the teeth, adult teeth should be all through by, say, six months of age, uh, sorry, ten months of age, um, and oftentimes there'll be one of those puppy teeth still sitting in there right. and it's between the two teeth is uh, there might be food that's caught and that's contributing to the smell. 
Oh, right, yes. We've, mm. um, she, we've had some a product uh, that smells worse than the breath, actually, just <laughs> like toothpaste. Um, she doesn't mind the human toothpaste, but we've got some um, powder to put in the water. Yeah. Um, but we've only just started that, but you think it'd be best to see the vet and, and get them done properly to start with and well, see if there's any teeth yeah, creating yeah. this. I mean, without looking specifically, but that I'd be having a bet on that as a cause. Okay, then. All righty. Thank you so much. Thanks no worries. Thanks, cool, Joan. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat, and uh, we will be back in just a little. We're going to talk to Julie Tolliday, and uh, she's going to talk about aggressive dogs. 2NURFM's Pet Chat is the program you're listening to, and Danny. You'd yeah. like to introduce our next guest. Well, we've got Julie Tolliday from Barkers in Balance, and I thought it would be a good time to talk to her about dog aggression. And Julie is a behavioural modification specialist for dogs and their owners, Jane, and their owners. Oh, change your behaviour. <laughs> this is how. <laughs> Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Danny. Look, um, I thought uh, let's talk about this time around dog aggression. And uh, there's a few different levels and types of dog aggression. Uh, can you explain those to us? Yes. Um, well, often people will ring me and say they've got an aggressive dog. And, and the first question I'll ask is, well, are they aggressive to humans or aggressive to dogs or aggressive to both? Yes. And, uh, of course, dog-to-human aggression, I don't have to go too far to explain that um, that's a very serious one and that's the one that we like to spring into action straight away to help yes. people with that. Dog-to-dog aggression can take lots of different forms, actually. Dogs can bu- uh, be aggressive because of fear. Dogs can be aggressive because they're held on the end of the leash and they don't like being there. They can be territorially aggressive or they can be protective of their owners too and therefore aggressive to anyone or any dog that approaches. That's right. In terms of those levels of aggression, let's let's break it down and talk about dog-to-dog aggression in the different varieties of situations. What are some techniques, uh, basic techniques, that um, owners can use with their dogs who ha- have aggression towards other dogs? Okay, first, if I could rewind every dog owner back to when the dog was a puppy, I would say please go to puppy school because if you can deal with inter-dog communication before 18 weeks, a lot of dogs learn how to cope better with other dogs around. So that's the number one thing I'm always saying to people. Puppy school is not a gimmick. It's actually put there to help you understand the way your dog is is interacting with other dogs. Also at puppy school, if your dog is going to have a dominance-type problem or a guarding-type problem, we can jump on it then and try to, um, you know, diffuse it before it goes too far. Mm. Further up the line, people with older dogs who they finding that they can't go out and walk them because the dog is reactive and the owners are... The owners can be frightened or embarrassed or both. Uh, then I always recommend that they do some learning to find out what they can do to be a stronger leader for their dog. The basics are that you, the dog needs to understand that it looks to the owner for direction when it's out as well as when it's at home. Uh, therefore, techniques like getting the dog to focus on you, even using treats, bringing them up to your eye and saying to the dog, watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do simple things like, just walk your dog away quickly from what is arousing it. 
um, sit it down or make it drop. I do a lot of work with people uh, teaching them to get their dog to submit right down into a drop, even when they're highly aroused. The dog feels more secure and the owner has more control. So you mentioned the importance of the owner being the top dog in the hierarchy of the home and establishing that, um, that authority. Are there some bad habits that, that owners can in, get into and make the dog feel that the dog is actually a top dog? Yes, there are bad habits, and, uh, but I, I, I will defend dog owners to the, to the nth degree and say that often dog owners don't realise that a lot of human things we do with dogs just don't transfer into the dog culture the way they think that they will. Yes. Simple things. People will say to me, oh, my dog sleeps on my bed, but I don't mind. Yes. And I say, well, it's not what you mind. It's what's ticking through the dog's head while it's having the privilege of sleeping on your bed. Because they think um, differently to the way we think, obviously. Sorry, say that again? Uh, sorry. They think differently to the way we think in regards to that kind of those kind of comforts, I guess. Yes, we think, oh, it's comfort and love. The dog thinks, oh, I'm up high, because height is status to dogs. Yes. So the dog's up on your bed, and in the dog culture, the leaders sleep in the best position. Mm. They get the best position in the burrow or den, and the others just don't have to fit in around the edges. So you put your dog on your bed, you are really putting it in a position to start to get the inclination that's in charge. A very simple one is people who've got inside dogs and the dog gets to the front door first. Yes. And if you say, and often when I get to the front door of somebody's house, they pick the dog up and they go, they pick up a barking dog and put it in front of them. So they've given it status by picking it up. They put it physically in front of themselves. So if you think of a dog pack, they've just said to the dog, here, you be in front and you be the greeting party. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good one to be aware of and, and think mm-hmm. about that because that is just a natural tendency. The dog's barking there. I'm picking the dog up. But the way the dog sees it is that it's, it's high up and it's in charge. Absolutely. And if you put your dog on the ground at the front door and even if you quickly slip a lead on it and hold it behind you, people are amazed that most dogs go... Oh, and they'll stop barking. Yep, and they've been put in their place and the owner is the top dog in that situation. Yes, and have we hurt the dog? Have we threatened the dog? No. No, we haven't. Just given a gentle, um, very clear message that a dog can understand. And what about the aggression towards humans? Okay, aggression towards humans, of course, that's very, very worrying. And it can come from different sources. It can come from a fearful dog, or it can come from a dog who's having too much privilege at home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, quite often a dog that is aggressive towards humans is sleeping on the bed and greeting the visitors at the front door and sitting on the lounge. Um, So we need to do things to just put the dog more into its place there. But it is a very worrying one because people will say, well, how will I ever know that my dog is safe with visitors? Yes. And I've just recently done, been to a home and it was a big, it was a Labrador cross and they had rehomed it, you see. So you get this rehomed dog, unknown history, growling at their visitors and taking a bit of a snap at their visitors. And we worked through a lot of things to just get that dog more into a dog's position in the home. We did some specific behavioural exercises where we brought strangers into the home, but I gave the owners 
you know, physical exercises to do to just remove the dog in a quiet, assertive way to give the dog that message. They rang me a couple of weeks later and said, oh, the dog snapped at our visitors again. And I said to them, well, too much too soon. And yes. your visitors shouldn't have been greeting that dog as soon as they got to the home. Right. That's another thing that people don't realise that that will make a difference. I've got two little fluffies. They wouldn't attack anybody, but they still are put outside and quite often they're tied up before the visitors go outside. So the visitors can be in the dominant space and my dogs are there observing going, oh, we're not the most important here. Okay, so the, the, the thing is that through some uh, behavioural training, specialised training, there can be success and light at the end of the tunnel if there is a problematic dog like this. And that's really good to know. Yes, yes, and there can be light at the end of the tunnel. If it's been a people-aggressive dog, then probably always you'd need to have precautions in place. Not because you're scared that the dog's going to rip someone's arm off, but because dogs need to be kept in their place. Like my little fluffies, who they get that treatment anyway. Yes. Well, thank you for your time, uh, Julie, and we'll talk again soon. That's a pleasure. Thanks, Danny. Take care. Bye bye. Okay, bye. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. It's 24 to 12, and we'll be back. We'll actually be very happy to take your calls. 49216216 will get you through to us and to Dr. David Tabret. And you're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. Now, there are some, of course, we're very happy to take your calls. 49216216, give us a call. And, Danny, you've got some pet events that are coming up. There's some, there's some good events happening locally. So if you've got some time over the weekend, get yourself down to the Hillsborough Dog Showgrounds and there's a few things happening. We've got the Newcastle All Breeds Training Club, which is doing their regional qualifying heats for agility trials and jumping trials. There's 1,400 entries, Jane. That's a 1,400 lot. entries, heaps of dogs. Now, if you're not aware of what agility trials are basically an obstacle course gets set up there's tunnels there's weaving poles hurdles tables seesaws that the go the dogs go through and they follow this obstacle course and the dog that is the fastest and makes the least amount of mistakes while following the course wins so there's those agility trials there's the jumping trials and basically with the jumping trials, we've got broad jumps and high jumps that again are uh, placed along a course and the dog can follow the course, jump on through those jumps and again the fastest dog with the least mistakes wins. And that's happening right here in our backyard, Hillsborough Dog, Hillsborough dog Show Grounds on, on Saturday and on Sunday. And together as well at the same venue there is also a championship show a dog show happening so if you want to have a look at some different variety of, of pedigree purebred dogs by all means go to those um to the to the two varieties of shows or events that are happening at the hillsborough dog show grounds. sounds as though it could be worth watching anyway it is it? and that's one thing with the agility and jumping trials it is also a bit of a spectator sport it is great fun to go and watch for about half an hour one caution though it's preferred in these instances that you don't bring your dog along because the dogs that are going through these trials can get affected by the scents and smells of other dogs that are by the edge of the rings and so forth that are watching, especially if um, you know, it could be a female dog that's um, mm -hmm. yeah in 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 her season, so they really do get distracted. <laughs> Danny, do you um with your dogs do they do agility or are you just a 
normal showing? Normal showing. I do have one of my dogs, uh, my male dog, who is doing some field work and tracking work. Do you do that with um, them or no, they go to I, someone I have, else? I have a friend yes. that is very good and qualified and is a very good trainer, and I say, okay, Legend can come along with you today and go and get some training. That's and he's really, really good. And, in fact, at the end of this year in November, we're hoping he might even get his title. Well, I'd imagine mm. that it takes a lot of work to train them. It is to a, that standard. It, it is, and he would only be up to the first level. There's lots of different levels mm. that you go through, but he would be at the first level, and it does take a bit of time. We have a call up four nine two one six two one six is the number to ring to get your question through to David Tabret and Elaine. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hi, Elaine. Hi, David. What can we do for How you? Are you? Good, good, well, thank the lady, you. Lady that was on speaking a while ago about the dogs, yes, could have been speaking to me personally, and and that's why I've had the problem. My dog is eleven year old. Yes, she's been let do all the things that we shouldn't have let her do, like yes. sleep on the bed and pick her up at the door. And, and yes. we live in a complex where there's eighteen other units, and we're at the front. So everybody that comes in through that unit, because we're at the front, she thinks she owns the whole yard. Oh right. And her barking is really sort of, you know, I, I was thinking about trying to do something to stop. She's a Maltese cross, by the way, so you know how they bark. <laughs> mm, yep, and yep. I was wondering whether one of those electronic collars would put it, and I don't know, because I hate to put it through anything that I think might be uncomfortable for her, you know. She's spoiled absolutely. Well. Yes. Well, the electronic collars are actually banned in New South Wales. Oh, are they? There, there's a few different There's kinds, a citronella though. one. Yeah, there's a citronella spray one. Yeah, but... The, yeah. That's not banned. No, no, the citronella Wales. one's not banned. <laughs> but the problem is that, um, as Julie was saying, is that the messages that have been sent in terms of behaviour yeah. are pretty well habitual and they've been ingrained and i would yeah. think that um your little dog even with a citronella collar it might put her off for a little while and then she'll think no it's my job to warn everybody and um you know i'll do it despite this citronella spray in my nose but the neighbors say that they say oh well if we respect anybody we always know when she's coming because <laughs> chloe barks <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not the thing i no. want i want to just laugh me but she's I mean, we often joke about, like, we own the bed, and she she owns the bed, and she lets us sleep with her, <laughs> oh. things like that. That's how sport she is. Look, Elaine, so we're I... We're in our I, 70s. We're both in our 70s. Yes. This little dog is just absolutely sport rotten. I remember um, when I was in general practice, I had um, a gentleman, an older gentleman, coming with his little dog. Yeah. And he couldn't do anything with the dog. And it needed treatment. And he said, I can't touch the dog. I can't give it medication. It won't do anything for me oh, at all. And I said, what's happened? And he said, well, it's my wife's dog. And she's had to go into hospital. Mm. And the dog used to sit between them on the lounge. And if he went near her, yeah. the dog would growl. Yeah. The dog used to sleep on the bed and the dog would growl. Um, and so there was this uh, protective thing. And then, of course, when the, the wife uh, was ill and had to go into hospital, the poor dog didn't have anyone yeah. who was able to look after him. Well, so she's not quite. She's not quite that bad, you know. She mm. cares us both equally, uh, but it's just that um, I, I, I hate to put her in. I, I might, she's never even worn a collar. Yeah. And, and I, she has a harness, but not a collar. And I, um, I just didn't want to put her in through anything. It might be discomfort for her, and I, I'm just worried about doing it. But I thought it was going to help. But I really listen to that lady speak to me. I think she's past that. Well, you can always do some things that are going to send a message, but you're right, it's going to be a bit of a tough haul. But I would certainly encourage you to follow some of the ideas that Julie yeah. was talking about. Yeah. 
um, because I think that even that can often signal a change of behaviour and you may well see a bit of a difference enough to at least make things yeah. a little bit more comfortable for everyone. We, okay. can't, we can sort of control her. She hates us to raise our voice or rouse at her. Yes. She hates any of that and uh, we can sort of... She's not that bad that she just doesn't listen to us at all. Uh, she does do a, you know, we'll, we'll obey us a little bit if we raise our voice. Well, let's, um, we'll start by stopping the picking up behaviour yeah. and see how she responds, even to just doing a sit for you yeah. on command when uh, someone comes and then you might find yeah. an improvement. So we'll give that a go and see how, you, yeah. see how you get on, okay? We thought that was making it better for the people, you know, to pick her up and hope and she'd stop barking once she saw it was all right. But yes, and as Julie it's said... It's not, it's very wrong. Well, <laughs> the dog thinks it's different to what we think, so <laughs> give it a go and I'm sure you'll notice a difference in her behaviour. And oh, then thank you very much. That's Good all right. Thanks for the call. And Valerie has rung in. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Val. Hello, Val. Valerie. Hi. Hello. Hi. You've got a question for David? Yes. Um, I have a dog. It's not a little fluffy thing. It's a blue healer. Mm-hmm. But um, I kind of took sympathy on it because its previous owner didn't want it. It had, its eye was missing and it, they were going to shoot it. It was... They were just going to put it out of its mirror and get rid of it. And we took it in and I felt very sorry for it. It's obviously been very badly abused. If you pick up anything that looks like a stick, it would cow and, and urinate it. It was horribly, terribly bashed. Yeah. I would say that's how it lost its eye. So I was a sook to it and I, you know, yes. really given it any discipline. But I can deal with the bed, not having any space and all those things. But it, it's not very nice. To other pets. Yes. Well, yep. We have a rainbow lorikeet and it will snap at this bird. We had guinea pig and it killed it. We had little pet mice and if one got out it would kill it. it it's, not, it's never hurt anybody except for one woman who walked into the middle of the house who I don't know why on earth she would do that and she raced up and bit her on the leg. Yeah. Um, but she's generally, you know, just the guard dog. But how do I stop her being aggressive to ever within the house well there's a number of things that you've highlighted first of all the breed so we're talking about a herding dog and so their behavior is they nip at the heels of of other creatures exactly what she does to people too if they run away yep she'll nip at their heels right so that's i've always said i reckon that's how they got to be called a blue healer exactly (laughs) exactly that's exactly right so our our breed is against against us in trying to correct the behavior the second thing is that uh, we don't know what behaviours we're ingrained to start with about um, reacting with aggression and violence, and so we're not really sure. But that doesn't mean that we can't change some of those things. But obviously there's going to be some of that. That critical learning period happens in the three to four months, the first three to four months. I think Julie said 18 weeks. Mm. Yeah. So, well, she you know, would have been older than that when we when you got her. walking yep. along with her eye hanging out. Yep. The, the third thing is that, you haven't set boundaries for her because of the sympathy for where she was before. And so like an errant teenager who we think we want to make sure they're loved and everything, but in reality we also need to establish guidelines for behaviour and discipline. And that just means we're setting guidelines because a dog's being a pack animal, they look for uh, restrictions on their behaviour. And so, she, bec- her, she is actually relatively obedient. Like uh, we can take her for a walk without a lead. Yes. And if there's other dogs, you've only got to call her and tell her no and right. sit, 
and that's it. She'll stay there and, you know, um, we'll be firm if she'll get on the beds and my husband will say, no, get off, get on your own bed and she'll crawl off and slither underneath the bed. You know, she does know who's in charge, um, but it's the yep. pets. Yep. She just won't stop sniffing at this pet and I'm worried that one day the bird's going to get out and she's going to kill it too. Yeah, I, I can't. There's nothing that you can do that's going to guarantee that risk. Yeah. But um, I would encourage just daily doing some basic obedience. And even if she does obey you when she's on, off the lead, yeah. having a, having her on the lead and responding to you. And I, I don't know if Julie was, has referred to it before, but I like the use of the gentle leader halt, um, or halty harnesses. Because yeah. they act on pressure points on the dog, they instill this behaviour in them that says this is the relationship and you will find that uh, the dog will then look to you for leadership on, say, other animals, the bird and so on. Unfortunately, her breed means that that's always going to be a risk, but I think I would encourage you to be doing a little bit of basic obedience every day and use a halty or a gentle leader harness yeah. Um, because that I've makes a difference. Harnesses. I used to have a, a Maltese cross shih tzu, and um, she, the, I've got a whole pile of harnesses, so I'll now these would be one of those up. These would be the ones that go on their head, not around their chest. Oh! There's a special, yeah, there's a special one. It's like a horse halter. Yeah, I work with the racehorses, so okay. general idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, and <laughs> yeah, so if you yeah. talk to the vets or the pet store about um, you want one of those head halters, yeah. they do need to be fitted and they make a yep. huge difference to behaviour. This is 2NURFM's Pet Chat. It's 8 to 1, and we've just been talking about aggressive dogs as well as guinea pigs, but we'll get back to guinea pigs in a moment. Danny, um, you've got something you'd like to say about collars for Elaine dogs. phoned up earlier on, and she was talking how her dog barks, and she was mentioning the, the spray collar, and David expanded a little bit on it. So I thought I'd just add um, some, th- some information to it. Basically, there's three types of collars that are available for these kind of activities. One is the one that is banned in New South Wales, and that one is the most effective, according to when you speak to a lot of trainers, but it is banned in New South Wales, allowed in Queensland, allowed in Victoria too, I'm pretty sure, um, but not in New South Wales. And that has a bit like an electric fence. It's got an electric zap, and it just zaps the dog when it goes to bark. Now. Just just a, a note about that, though. I remember speaking to the RSPCA about this, and the my understanding is that if you actually went out of state and bought the collar and brought it back to New South Wales, or if you, say, ordered it mail order, it's the act of using it in New South Wales. It's not the sale or purchase of it. Mm. It's So, you, you know, you can't just simply go to Queensland and think, oh, well, I'll bring it back. Um, there are other strategies that we in New South Wales that we use. Yep. That's right. So unfortunately with that one, or fortunately we can't, and it, it's not allowed in New South Wales. But there is the other two that can be used, and one is the citronella spray. Yep. And that one works more of shocking the dog and getting it out of doing that action. It's just a spray that just affects them. So when they the bark, there's like a little sensor that says, or their throat's moving, and so it releases a mist of citronella in yes. front of their face. However, there's also some dogs smart enough that that can just bark, 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 and and and, and the, they wear it out. They wear it out, and there's no more <laughs> spray left. That's true. So that can happen. But look, for some dogs, it can work quite well. 
And the third third one that is available in New South Wales, or it's only the second one available in New South Wales, but is the sonic collar, which emits a frequency that the dog can hear. We can't hear it, but the dog can hear it, and it is uncomfortable. So every time they bark. And the sonic is also available in a unit that you can place on the wall of your house. And any dogs within a, a 50 feet vicinity that bark will also hear it every time they bark and it it also helps in that sort of arrangement but there is those varieties that are available isn't that um, interesting however again behavioral modification is really the best one yes um and there is specialists out there that can help with that guinea pigs oh what did we i we talked started talking uh, no about i know we pigs. did we talked about a lot about we guinea pigs talked about their diet yes in in particular i mentioned that they can get uh, very obese they can get bladder stones some of the medical conditions we see are skin diseases they get mites believe it or not um and they can also get uh, ovarian cysts and kidney disease and i've actually one of the vets that i know quite well um not so long ago operated on a a guinea pig and removed an ovarian cyst and he said it was about half the size of the guinea pig ones like the actual cyst they're huge wow. yeah so you know they can get these things they are very um fragile under anesthetic and so we like to make sure we get onto them early but uh you know they can have surgery mammary tumors we do and i mentioned cesareans and i have had the the great pre- pleasure and privilege of doing a, a guinea pig cesarean it's quite incredible when they come out Gosh. and yeah, they're very tiny little things. They, they are. They and are they very... can run around and look after themselves. Yeah, well, once we warm them up a bit, yeah. <laughs> are they furry then when they're born? Yeah, yes, yep. they so are. Yeah, they come out. Yeah, no, they're, they're tiny little things, but they, they get going pretty quickly. And as soon as mum's up, they have a little feed and they're not, they're off. Do they form a bond with their owners? Uh, with the, with the like, children or... Humans, you mean? Yes, with yeah, humans. Yeah. Um, from a young age. Yeah, I if, think if so. You, if you raise them from a young age, yes, they can. Yeah. Um, from what I know, found rabbits tend to be a bit more affectionate in that way than guinea yes. pigs, but yeah, they, they still can. They are, as I said, they're a prey species, so their behaviour tends to reflect that. They're always know. a bit jittery. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to hold on to them well, otherwise they can yes. launch themselves off and... Hurt right. themselves. <laughs> so, we, yeah, we could have had a whole pile. In fact, if we'd started off with two guinea pigs today, had they come in, we could have had a well 25 by the time we finished the show. Well, they actually, contrary to, say, rats and mice, which have a three-week pregnancy, guinea pigs, believe it or not, have a nine-week pregnancy. And this is probably why they're able to get out and uh, they're precocious, as we say, and they cope quite well once they reach that age. Sounds good. There you go. And that brings us to the end of Pet Chat for today. Thank you, David Tabret. Thanks, Jane. And thanks, Danny Boss. Goodbye, Jane. And we'll be back next Friday after the Midday News Pet Chat on 2NURFM.